Let's pray. Help us surrender to the divine that you would conceive in us, that we would know your peace and bear it to the world. Hold me up, God, that I might lift you up. Amen. How can this be? Mary is completely and totally baffled. <laughs> Some messages so defy our understanding, it's hard to process. Mary is a virgin. So her immediate response to the angel's message, understandably, is denial. It's resistance. I mean, how can I possibly be pregnant? Then the implications begin to settle in. Can you imagine what she was thinking, what was running through her mind in those first moments after this announcement? Well, first of all, what in the world was she going to tell Joseph? Hi, honey. Guess what? We've been favored. I mean, I don't know about back in those days, but in our current culture, the notion of being favored looks most like the prosperity gospel. I mean, if we're favored by God, we're going to be healthy and wealthy, right? Our lives are going to be easy and enviable. We should have influence. If we're favored by God, then the world's going to favor us too, right? I mean, people are going to like us. But God's idea of favoring Mary is to make her an unwed, pregnant teen who will bear to the world a child who will eventually be executed as a criminal. How can this possibly be? I mean, it's clear that the angel is convinced that what God is doing in Mary's life is some high honor, that it's a great gift. But hearing gift in the message, you're about to be mysteriously pregnant in a culture that can stone you to death for it, that must have been quite a leap. I mean, what are people going to think? What are they going to do to me? There have been times in my life when I've received a message from God that did not seem like good news at all at first. Messages that completely baffled me. When I began to hear God call me to preach, I was certainly baffled. It was not a message that I accepted easily. But angels were everywhere insisting that God desired to conceive something new in me. First, at the end of a Bible study called Disciple One, if you're not familiar with it, it's a nine-month-long intensive study that surveys the entire Bible. And at the end of that study, the students discern the gifts that they have witnessed in one another. It was unanimously decided in my class that I had received the gift of prophecy. God wants you to preach. That can't possibly be. Then my friend Wendy, she gave me a book called Discerning a Call to Ministry because she said God told her to. Then another church friend of mine, after an impromptu and rather passionate case that I made, 
that talked about how the grace of God was communicated in the Old Testament, she said to me, you know you're going to be a preacher, right? And then the pastor at my church, just within a couple of weeks, gave me the same book that my friend Wendy had given me and said, you know, I think God's inviting you to discern a call to ordain ministry. You need to preach, Tracy. <laughs> no. No, 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 no. This cannot be. Yet God, through all those messengers, shared the good news that mysteriously there was a preacher growing in me. So I went to James and I said, guess what, honey? We've been favored. <laughs> no, I didn't really do that. But I did wonder, I mean, how? How can this be? I can't go back to school. We don't have the money for that. And besides, there's not a seminary in, in San Antonio. That's where we lived at the time. And we can't move. James has a job here. This is entirely too crazy. I'm not preacher material anyway. I mean, I can't quote scripture, chapter and verse on demand. My faith, it's not well formed enough. What are people going to think when I tell them? Especially my family. I mean, they know me. I am certainly not holy enough. Our friend, Dr. Brene Brown, I mentioned her last week. She's a shame researcher who speaks and writes extensively on the role of vulner vulnerability in living a wholehearted life. Well, she says that the number one guidepost to wholehearted living is to practice authenticity. And she defines authenticity as a willingness to show up and to let yourself be fully seen. And it is a practice. She says that it's something that we have to cultivate. It's not something that just comes naturally to us. It's a one day at a time. Sometimes it's a one moment at a time decision to tolerate vulnerability, to let go of what others think. My spiritual director would say it is having the courage to fully exist unapologetically. But many of us, Brene Brown says, lug around what's called a 20-ton shield. And we carry this shield around thinking it's going to protect us, but it's actually the thing that keeps us from being seen and that prevents us from living wholeheartedly. And one of the most common 20-ton shields is perfectionism. And perfectionism is not a healthy striving for excellence. And perfectionists, they aren't actually perfect. In fact, in the perfectionist's own self-judgment, which is typically pretty harsh, they are the furthest thing from perfect. Perfectionism is about trying to earn approval by appearing perfect because we feel like we're not enough. We feel like we're not smart enough, we're not pretty enough, we're not athletic enough, rich enough, talented enough, not fill in the blank enough to earn or be worthy of love and connection. So perfectionists think, well, if I can just do everything perfectly, if I can look perfect, then I can avoid the pain that comes with experiencing shame, blame, and judgment. 
Mary faced a great deal of shame, blame, and judgment. I mean, there's one heavenly messenger who's brought her what they claim to be very good news, but you know Mary was surrounded by messengers with bad news. The Holy Spirit came over her, my foot. I don't know about you, but it was not the Most High who overshadowed her. It's not possible. I mean, get real. The temptation to protect herself, to spin a story or to paint herself and her situation differently, to hide, maybe to reject God's favor in exchange for the favor of men and women. I mean, it must have been tremendous. I don't know if Mary was a perfectionist or not, but the risk of authenticity, of being fully seen in her particular situation, it had to have given her pause. The stakes weren't nearly as high for me as they were for Mary, but I did worry about what others would think. I mean, what would they do if I took these messages of good news seriously? As a matter of fact, I lost one friend, a friend of mine who lived down the street who thought that it was heretical for a woman to preach. We haven't spoken since then. And a couple of other of my friends, they backed away initially, primarily because they were afraid that now that I was going to be all holy and stuff that they couldn't drink or speak freely in front of me, if you know what I mean, which is not the case. My mother was absolutely baffled, and that's all I'm going to say about that. As intriguing as this good news was that I was hearing and as drawn as I felt to this new thing that God would conceive in me, it was very hard to surrender because all of those other messages, they were equally compelling and they were a lot easier to believe. And if I accepted God's favor, I might lose everyone else's. I was afraid to risk being fully seen. I didn't want people to see the desire in me to bear the divine. I mean, what if I failed? What if all those messages of good news, what if they were fake news? The pain and humiliation of all of that, it would have been unbearable. Mary moved quickly from resistance to acceptance. She moved pretty quickly based on what we see in the Bible from the instinct to doubt and protect herself to the willingness to believe and be vulnerable. She made the decision to let go of what other people might think or do and she chose to be real, to be fully seen. And with surrender and acceptance came peace. Blessed peace. It took me a lot longer than Mary, and I wasn't nearly as graceful in my surrender, but I did become a preacher. And with my surrender came a measure of peace, though I have to admit that I have found what Brene um, Brown says to be true, that 
authenticity is a practice. It's something that I have to make a decision to do on a regular basis because I still say to myself quite often, how is this possible? I still feel insufficient on many days. I still worry what others think. It bugs me that I am not all the things that my idealized image of preacher conjures up. I still can't quote scripture, chapter and verse. It's disappointing to me that I don't knock it out of the park every single Sunday. You know, I really wanna know, by the way, who it is that decided that preachers should interpret the word of God with some poignant, relevant, deep and meaningful, theologically sound, original, prophetic discourse every single week. I mean, if you check out the prophets in the Old Testament, they had two or three good sermons in them, tops. And they wandered around the countryside preaching to different people in different contexts until someone killed them. I mean, that's doable. God desires to conceive in each and every one of us. And as hard as it is to believe, as hard as it is to surrender, God counts on all of us to bear the divine into the world. Perfectionism tells us God can't conceive in me. It's not possible. I'm not worthy. I'm not enough. But authenticity takes a risk and says, here I am. Let it be with me as you have said. Mary let go of the notion of the appearance of perfection and embraced instead the authentic self and purpose that God had conceived in her. And as a result, the divine grew in her and God was born through her. And the whole world received the peace born of her surrender. The Prince of Peace I do believe that there are angels among us and angels growing in us. We can be messengers of peace. We can fly in the face of fear, in the face of perfectionism, when we surrender to what God would conceive in us. Because nothing is impossible with God. Amen.